For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. The title of our sermon this morning is More Than Conquerors. This is part three. Our text primarily, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. So this morning we arrive at the conclusion of our study together in this great chapter. This has been a terrific book, but a terrific chapter, just loaded, loaded with gems. We're really grateful for that. In the words of Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd-Jones describes the Bible as a glorious collection of priceless gems. And among those invaluable treasures in that vast collection, the most lustrous stones, Lloyd-Jones says, are to be found in Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. And the brightest gem in that precious cluster is Romans chapter 8. Paul opened this chapter with an unqualified, with a confident, with a bold pronouncement of the believer's security in union with Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Drawing upon all that he has said in the book to this point, particularly in Romans chapter 4, explaining justification by faith alone in Christ alone, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Drawing upon all that he has said about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of our salvation, the sovereign work of God in justification, the justification of an undeserving sinner through the means of faith. Drawing upon all of that, Paul then brings us to the conclusion of his argument and the implications of his case. We are most assuredly his. And that is a a beautiful truth from the Word of God, a gracious truth from the Word of God that we can take with us in whatever circumstances we face. Amen? We are most certainly, most assuredly His, guaranteed the gift of heaven by the, or guaranteed heaven by the gift of His Spirit. And there is at this present time no condemnation to those who are in union with His Son, our Lord Christ Jesus. The Christian has been conferred a status, a blessed status, if you will. And he has been conferred that status through the means of faith alone, apart from any works that he has done. He has been transferred, if you you will, conveyed into this blessed status. He has been conferred a status in which he is afforded complete security, complete safety. We are afforded a complete security because our surety is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has accomplished all for the sake of our salvation. He has accomplished all that is necessary to our eternal salvation. Now, in support of that premise, the premise of the believer's assurance of his salvation, Paul set himself to the task of answering every objection that could challenge that, every objective that might threaten that security. He's answered those who might question the validity of God's free justification through faith alone in Christ alone. He has answered the challenge of remaining sin, indwelling corruption. He has answered the objection of those who might appeal to the law. He has even answered those threats to our security that arise from our own circumstances. Thoughts, fears, doubts, concerns that might overthrow our confidence, overthrow our assurance, the presence of persecution, and suffering in the Christian life, the reality of physical decay or physical death, accusations of our own conscience, 
the doubts, the fears that may too often plague our hearts and our minds. And he has answered all of those challenges, answered all of those threats by welding, by anchoring the certainty of our salvation to the decrees of God before the foundation of the very world that he has created. In the determined purpose of God to bring all things, all to pass, all that he has decreed. Those whom God has foreknown, it is those whom he has determined to set his love upon in eternity. Those he has predestined to be conformed into the image of his only begotten son. Those whom he has predestined in eternity past to that glorious end, he has then in time effectually called to himself. He has justified those through the means of faith, and he will most certainly glorify them to the praise of his own grace. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? What is the only reasonable conclusion to all that God has done us, done for us through the person and work of his own son? If God is for us, then who could possibly stand against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not then with him, with that indescribable gift, freely then give us every other indescribable gift, every other blessing that flows from that, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Having freely given that which was dearest to him, the Father will not withhold from us all that pertains to life and godliness. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Not a single sin is left for the sinner to atone for. His filthy garments have been removed. Not a single work remains to merit the law's satisfaction. He has been robed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? God has given the verdict. Our salvation has been secured in the perfect and in the completed work of Jesus Christ. It is Christ who died. It is Christ who is furthermore also risen. It is Christ who is even seated right now at the right hand of God. It is Christ who also makes intercession for us. And this chapter that opened with our boast in the Lord, there is nothing to condemn us. This chapter now closes with our boast in the Lord that there is then nothing that can separate us from his love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are eternally and unchangeably, immutably his you belong to him. He has done everything that is necessary to redeem you. He has done everything that is necessary to preserve you. He is even now working through his kind providence to do everything that eventuates in your good and will eventually glorify you in the day of the Lord. The Lord has done all to save you. He will preserve you. He will glorify you. We are inseparably his objects of his eternal and everlasting love. I've planned for us to consider our text this morning under three headings. First, our blessed status. Second, our blessed security. And third, our blessed assurance. Uh, we begin with Paul's reference to our blessed status in verse 35. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The question is the fourth in a series. Who can stand against us? Verse 31. Who can bring a charge against us? Verse 33. Who is there to condemn us? Verse 34, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, those are rhetorical questions. There is an implied and definite and certain answer. Now, someone might conceive of any number of things that they might fear could do it. 
any number of things that they might fear could separate us from the love of Christ. You might at times fear that you've been separated from the love of God. So Paul considers any number of things that someone might fear. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, exposure or poverty, peril, sword, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth. And just so you didn't for one moment dwell on anything that he failed to mention, Paul adds any other created thing, which includes everything but our uncreated God himself. And Paul ends with the answer to his question in verse 39. Nothing, no one and no thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now notice first in verse 35, the subjects of that love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The us of verse 35 is the same us referred to in verse 34. Those for whom Christ intercedes. The very same us of verse 31, those whom God is for and not against. The very same us of verse 32, those for whom Christ was delivered up. He was delivered up for us. The very same us represented in verse 33 as the elect of God. Those whom God himself has justified. Who's the us of verse 35? The us are genuine Christians. Those who belong to him, those who are in union with the Son. This is representing, brothers and sisters, a particular and distinguishing love that Christ has for those who are given to him by the Father. It's a particular and distinguishing love that he has for his own. A particular and distinguishing love that he shows towards those for whom he died. There is a sense in which God, there is a sense in which Jesus Christ loves people with a common love. The Lord Jesus Christ was very compassionate, and he demonstrates his compassion on those he encounters. There is a sense in which Christ loves all people. There's a sense in which God loves all those who are made in his image. He gave them food and gladness, Paul says. In this, he has done them good. But there is a distinguishing love that Christ has for his own. There is a distinguishing love that God has for his elect. It is this love with which, Ephesians chapter 5, that Jesus Christ loves the church and has given himself up for her. Not for those that are the objects of a common love, but those who are the objects of a particular and distinguishing love. The us are the subjects of that love in verse 35, those who are the elect of God, those in union with Jesus Christ. Notice next the source of that love in verse 35. The question in verse 35 has to do with the Lord's own love for the believer rather than the believer's love for the Lord. This is speaking about Jesus Christ's love for us, brothers and sisters. If it were dependent upon our love to him, we'd be in big trouble. Amen? There's nothing within us that could possibly bear the weight of any confidence or any assurance at all. If it depended upon your love, your love can't bear the weight of any confidence or any hope. There's nothing within us that could warrant or warm the faintest hope. There's nothing that could fuel the leanest zeal. There's nothing that could fire the weakest faith. If our assurance were to be ultimately based upon our love for the Lord, then we could have no assurance. The only solid foundation on which our assurance is firmly established is the eternal, infinite, unchangeable love of God for his elect in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And one of the reasons that, that 
are one of the basis, the premises on which Paul bolsters our assurance of that love is the fact that it is eternal, that it is grounded upon the eternal God, decrees of God in eternity before we were born, before we had done anything ever, good or bad. Do you see? God determined to set his love on a particular people. Speaking particularly of the love of Christ for those he came to save, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3. You can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, considering this love, Paul says, for this reason, in verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And Paul prays, verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, to be empowered, to be enabled through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and this is what he prays for, that you, being rooted and grounded in his love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of it. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, rooted, the first word is botanical, the love of God is the soil in which we grow. The second word is architectural. The love of God is the foundation upon which we are built up. If you are rooted and grounded, you are rooted and grounded in the love of God in which we grow and upon which we are built up. He prays that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays that we might know the immensity of it, the magnitude of it, the fullness of Christ's love for us. And again, he's not talking about our love for Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Lord's love for us. He prays that we might know it. Why is that? It's because we don't fully understand it. God's love, Christ's love, is as incomprehensible and as vast as he is incomprehensible and vast. Do you see? It's so great in its magnitude, verse 19, that it surpasses knowledge. And Paul prays that God would give us enabling power, that he'd give us strength, that he'd give us knowledge by which we may come to know more of that in, more of the incomparable nature, incomprehensible nature of Christ's love for us. And listen, brothers and sisters, that's not just so that you and I would know it intellectually. We know of God's love intellectually. We should know all there is to know of God's love from his revealed word. Amen? But that's not so that we would merely know his love intellectually, but experientially. The Puritan pastor, Samuel Rutherford, was sitting in prison in Aberdeen, Scotland, for preaching a sermon on the duty of kings with Charles II present. <laughs> if you can imagine. And from prison, from prison, Samuel Rutherford wrote this, Christ's love is the hottest coal that I ever felt. Oh, but the very smoke of it be hot. Cast all the salt sea on it, and it will flame. Hell itself cannot quench it. Amen. Amen. And Samuel Rutherford came to an understanding, a greater appreciation, a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of God's love through suffering, through persecution, through sitting in prison for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see? It's not just intellectually known, it's experientially sensed. Rutherford died just before facing Parliament on a charge of treason. And the epitaph on his tombstone read, acquainted with Emmanuel's love. 
We won't know the vast reaches of it. But brothers and sisters, it'll be our joy in eternity to pursue that knowledge of his love. Amen? The love of Christ for his own. Now notice finally the status of the believer. The status of the believer. The question of verse 35 is rhetorical, just like the others that preceded it. And as we've seen, Paul leads us to the only reasonable answer based on the evidence. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing will, nothing can. It is impossible for the one who has been justified by God, it is impossible for that one to be separated from the love of God in Christ. What is the blessed status of the one who has turned to Christ in faith? He is the eternal object of the divine love. First, his love is an eternal love. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's stay in this book for a moment. His love is an eternal love. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and without blemish before him, in love then, God predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You were an object of God's love before you ever existed. <laughs> it's a staggering thought, isn't it? Before you had ever done anything good or evil, God loved you with a free, electing initiating and acting and determining and working love before you ever existed. His love is a merciful love, a gracious love. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Drop down to verse 4. God who is rich in mercy. And why is God rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he has loved us. Right? Because of his great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, when we were as yet sinners at enmity with him, rebels against him, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together. He made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his love, the exceeding riches of his grace, the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. His love is a merciful love, a gracious love. His love is a divine love, Ephesians chapter 3. It's not the love of a mere man, it is the love of the God-man, Ephesians chapter 3. It is a love as vast and as incomprehensible as Christ himself is, the second person of the Trinity. A love that we will never come to the end of. We will, there will never be a moment in eternity where we can say we have exhausted it, we have arrived Close the book. It's done. We figured it out. Never. Eons will pass and we will be searching, pursuing the width, height, depth of it. We'll never get to the end of it. It's not the fickle or floundering love of mere men. It is the love of the God-man. It is a love that surpasses knowledge, that is incomprehensible. It is a love that is, is as infinite and immutable and un unchangeable as he is infinite and unchangeable. It's a costly love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He gave his own life, voluntarily gave it up, delivered himself up in death as a sacrifice for our own sins. It is a costly love. He bore 
our curse upon himself. He bore the wrath of God in our place. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, he loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. It is a costly love. It is a Uh, an active, an intentional, a working, a purposeful love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Do you see? For his own, for the church. So that with the purpose of that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but so that she should be holy and without blemish before him. This is a love that we did nothing to earn. This is a love that we do not deserve. This is a love that is not dependent upon us. This is a love that we cannot merit. Do you see? Having loved us then in that way, according to his own purpose and will, freely, when as yet we were dead in trespasses and sins, and loving us with an eternal objective in mind, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, He will, brothers and sisters, he will never stop loving us. Having delivered up his own son for us, he will certainly most freely give us all things. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sins. Every blessing afforded the believer, every blessing afforded the believer may be traced back to that divine perfection of his infinite essence, namely the love of God. Of all the manifold works that combine to effect the ultimate glorification of a sinner, They all may be traced back to that fundamental aspect of God's own character, his infinite and matchless love. John chapter 13, the apostle John says of the Lord Jesus Christ that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, he loved them to the uttermost, the uttermost, the end of everything that he could do to redeem them including giving up his own life at the cross. He loved them to the uttermost. Point one, brothers and sisters, concerning our status, we are the blessed subjects of Christ's love. Point two, consider then, in light of that love, consider our blessed security. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul asks. Shall tribulation separate us? Shall distress separate us, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? In other words, Paul has been building a case for, this, for our security in Christ. He's been building a case for the assurance of the one who has placed his faith alone in Christ alone for salvation. He's been laying a, so- a solid foundation upon which the believer may be assured that he belongs to Jesus Christ. And he emphasizes the exhaustive scope of our security in Christ with a host of troubles. Anything you could think of, right? Paul essentially asks, can anything separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And it's with this list, it's as if we hear 
from the apostle's own experience himself. He draws from the reality of his own experience to speak of Christ's love for himself as he talks to us about Christ's love for us. And just as it was with Rutherford, Paul's own experience of suffering, his own experience of suffering accentuates, it magnifies, or it helps us to understand than his sensed knowledge of Christ's love for him. It's through our circumstances that we come to that experience, the experiential knowledge, if you will, of Christ's love for us. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. That's a word that refers to extreme poverty or, or exposure. Speaking of exposure to the elements, Paul spent a night and a day in the deep. You can't get any more exposed than that, Right? Peril or sword, the word sword referring to martyrdom, giving up your life for the sake of Christ. It, that list, it's a connection that the world around us would find very strange. That there are times at which you might yourself even find strange. That connection between suffering and the experience of Christ's love for us. But it's a connection that Paul makes here in the text. It's not strange at all to those who have been through suffering, amen? When you go through difficult times, when you face adversity, when you face difficulty, it's at that time, by the Spirit of God, by His grace poured out to you, that we come to a sensed experience of His love to us. And it is sweet, amen? It's one of the things that, that gets God's people, that preserves them through trial, that preserves them through tribulation. We have an, exp an experiential sense of Christ's love for us through difficulty. And that's by His grace poured out to us by His Spirit. Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to Paul. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus Christ also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus Christ's sake, that, in the, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. It's through those difficulties, through that trial, through that death, that daily dying to self, so to speak, that we experience the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says this, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, too many to count, beaten too many times to count, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul knew what it meant to suffer, Amen. And it's from his suffering that Paul can make that statement. There's nothing, nothing that will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what you go through in this life. You are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you see? Paul draws from his own experience in our text. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, 
Do you see? Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing for that matter. Who or what is able to separate you? Nothing. No one. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. No one will prevail against you. Nothing will prevail against you. Our security, our assurance, is not rooted or grounded in your love or your ability to maintain your grip on Him. Rather, our assurance is grounded upon His ability to maintain His grip on us. And He loves you with a matchless love, an incomprehensible love, an eternal love, a divine love. The language couldn't be any more comprehensive in its scope. Any other created thing. And Paul has experienced it for himself. Jesus himself said, John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life. <laughs> How long does that last? <laughs> I give them eternal life. Life and they shall never perish, <laughs> neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The reason that Paul would state his point in these terms is because Christians may very well face these very examples of suffering in the Christian life. All who desire to live godly in this present age will suffer persecution. That's a certainty. You can take that to the bank. That's a promise. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to face adversity. People tend to think when they come to Jesus Christ that my life is going to be easy. My troubles are over. Praise God. No, your troubles are just beginning. And it depends entirely upon how you respond to them. Is that going to be by faith in the one who gave himself for you? Or is it going to be by trusting in the things, the trappings, the idols of this world? By trusting in your bank account? By trusting in the strength of your own might to dig yourself out of that hole that you dug yourself into? You may be tempted to think that no trouble will come to you. You may think it's strange when fiery trials come upon you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Or you may be tempted to think that when the fiery trial does assail you, it's an indication that God somehow doesn't love you. <laughs> or that somehow because of the fiery trial that you're out from under the love of God. When, when it is of the essence of faith to respond in exactly the opposite way, do you see? When you come under trial, when you come under difficulty, when you come under adversity, rather than thinking faithlessly, as though now I'm back under the condemnation of the law. God frowns upon me with his wrath, pouring out his wrath upon me. Brothers and sisters, that's faithless. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. Why? Because Jesus Christ has died. Embrace the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Trust him and follow him. Live for him. Obey him, and in your difficulties, in all your trials, cry out to him in faith, and give glory to God. We are the objects, the eternal 
objects of his love. Paul assures us that nothing can separate us. The adversity, the adversity that Christians face in our own generation, the adversity or difficulties, the tribulation that saints faced in the days of Paul are the trials that believers have faced throughout existence. <laughs> throughout existence. Verse 36, as it is written, a direct quote from Psalm 44, verse 22, and listen to these godly saints from the Old Testament. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Do you see the connection? Persecution for God's people is not an unusual experience. Persecution is a lot of God's people throughout eternity, throughout our existence, the history of the world. It's not an abnormal experience, brothers and sisters. It's a normal experience. Old Testament saints experience the same for your sake. Notice the psalmist describes their suffering as for his sake, for the Lord's sake. In quoting the text, Paul not only connects our suffering with the suffering of those Old Testament saints who went before us, but Paul also connects our suffering with the reproach of Christ himself. We suffer not for our own sakes, in and of ourselves. We suffer for his sake, for the Lord's sake. And brothers and sisters, that's a, that's a powerful motivation to lean into suffering with faith. Frankly, it's a, it's a powerful motivation to lean into suffering with joy. When the apostles were arrested and beaten in Acts chapter 5, Luke says, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Like it, It's our knowledge and our experienced knowledge of his love for us that fuels and drives our confidence, that should fuel our faith, that should drive our obedience. Paul assures us that the Christian life does not mean that we are somehow exempt from tribulation. This is a period that the Bible describes as the great tribulation. This period between Christ's first coming and his second coming is a period of tribulation. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. God does not keep us from tribulation. God keeps us through tribulation. Do you see? I read an article earlier this week. And it was an article that described five Christians who had fled from France at the time of the Reformation they fled because of severe, severe persecution in France. They fled France under persecution and went to Geneva to study under John Calvin. Under Calvin, they completed their studies, wanted to become pastors. And so they went back to France because they wanted to preach the gospel to their countrymen. Almost as soon as they crossed the border, they were arrested. And those five, all five, were burned at the stake. Those men were separated from their earthly tent, but they were never separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul himself lost his head. His head was separated from his body. And Paul was never separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our blessed security. Do you see? No matter what we face, we'll never be separated from the love of God. And 
wonder of wonders. In every difficulty that we face, we have more and more of a sensed experience of his love for us. Doesn't mean that you ought to go out and rush headlong to find someone to persecute you. (laughs) But we have that assurance from him, amen? And that should be comforting to you. Lastly, consider our blessed assurance then. Our blessed assurance. Our blessed status in union with Jesus Christ, the objects of his love. Our blessed security, there is nothing. Being objects of his love, there is nothing that can separate us from that. Lastly, our blessed assurance is our embrace through faith of the reality, the truth of these things. And Paul gives us an indication of that. Verse 37, our confidence explained. Verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The death of those five men in France may appear to this world as defeat. Paul would say that is a glorious victory right? Having been preserved through it in the love of Christ Jesus our Lord, Satan's schemes and the designs of their enemies are entirely overthrown. Entirely overthrown. This world's schemes, entirely overthrown, cannot and will not prevail against it. And those five upon their death, Paul upon his, you upon yours, will receive the crown of life reserved to those who love him whether it's martyrdom or one of the many distresses of this life, Paul says that we are more than conquerors in all these things. In every trial, even in those trials which may lead to your death, triumph is certain. You are invincible in him. And that through him who loved us, the grammar of that verb points us back to the decisive act of Jesus Christ on the cross. In the most prevalent, preeminent, superlative display of his love for believers, Jesus Christ giving himself up to die for us in our place. It was at the cross where he died for us, despite the fact that we were undeserving, despite the fact that we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, and that, more than anything else, magnifies the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his own Based upon all that we've now considered, notice with me the confidence with which Paul now responds. Our confidence is explained, now our confidence expressed. Verse 38, I am persuaded then. Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, referring to opposite extremes, right? Neither death nor life. Again, another set of opposites. Angels, nor principalities, nor powers, You could think of that as being good angels and fallen angels, if you will. Principalities and powers generally associated with fallen angels or evil spirits at work of this world. So again, these opposite extremes. Paul is painting a picture for us of two opposite ends of a great spectrum, and it would include everything in the middle. Life and death and everything in the middle, right? Life from your very first breath until your death, nothing in between. None of that will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see? Thinking of two extremes, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, angelic extremes, if you will. Things present 
nor things to come. Think of that along a linear timeline, if you will. There's nothing presently, nothing in the past, nothing presently, and nothing to come is going to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Height nor depth, vertical (laughs) extremes, nor, to include everything universally, nor any other created thing. The only uncreated being is God. Everything else, everything else is created. Therefore, Paul says, verse 39, nothing. No one and no thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Having looked at extremes then, Paul expands the fullest sense, the fullest experience of Christ's love for us to include all of that. (laughs) It is impossible for the one who has turned from sin to trust Christ through faith. It is impossible for him to be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul has clearly demonstrated the invincible character of God's love for his own. And all other gifts and graces from God are expressions of that love. His electing grace, the sending of his only begotten son, his free justification through faith, the gift of his spirit, all of the things that pertain to life and godliness, our adoption as sons, our inheritance with Christ, the eternal pouring out of his kindness toward us in Christ, all of that ultimately expressions of his love for us. And notice with me, it's only in Christ Jesus. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love of which we are the eternal objects, that love which is for those in union with Jesus Christ, it's only in Jesus Christ that this distinguishing love of God exists. There is a way in which the love of God extends to all people made in his image, but this is a particular love, a distinguishing love, an electing love. It is only in a union with Jesus Christ that this love is possible. Only for those who are in union with Jesus Christ that this love is poured out. Only in him that this love has been demonstrated. It's only in and through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ that this love is operative toward us who believe, right? Romans chapter five, having been reconciled, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and we have access to this grace by faith. Faith in whom? Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, you see? We have access to his love, to that operative love through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ that that love is operative toward us. Apart from Jesus Christ, we're doomed. It's only in him that this love is redemptive. It's only in him that this love is enduring, that it preserves us, and it will be so in eternity. He is my righteousness, right? He is your righteousness, and he is the one through whom God loves us. And he is seated seated at the right hand of the majesty, always living to make intercession for us, do you see? It's only in him that we can know and experience and embrace this love. And it's shed abroad in your heart by the Spirit. (laughs) The pouring out of this love is a Trinitarian work, and it is a Trinitarian love, amen? What does that mean then? Turn from your sin. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you will be forever and eternally an object of his wrath. 
we're going to find in Romans chapter 9 that God has determined to demonstrate his love, his abundant love, his grace, his mercy on vessels prepared beforehand for mercy. And he has determined to the glory of his own justice to pour out his wrath upon those who reject his son. Love is determined for those in union with Christ Jesus. Wrath is determined for those who are living life for themselves. Wrath is determined for those who have rejected the Son. Wrath is for those who are determined, who have, who have rejected his wrath, who are outside the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn to Jesus Christ in faith. If you are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not turned from living life for yourself, gratifying yourself, glorifying yourself, living for yourself. If you've not turned from your sin and turned from living life for yourself, then you will be an object of his wrath in eternity. Just as the believer fitted with a body to enjoy the pleasures of God, the love of God for all eternity, the unbeliever fitted eternally with a body, fitted, built as it were, to endure the torments of hell forever to the glory of his justice. And Jesus Christ is here in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Explained clearly in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, this letter which was given to us as well, explained in the gospel that if you will turn from your sin and trust him, then you will be the eternal object of his love, the eternal object of his grace, where at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore, the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave his all to redeem us. Amen pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this blessed promise of your word. There is nothing, there's no one and no thing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we are invincible. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that in anything that we face, we have the blessed assurance of knowing that you are working even that trial for our good, for our eternal good, for our eternal benefit. And we have the blessed assurance of experiencing uh, a greater knowledge of your love toward us through it, in it, for your own glory. As your spirit strengthens us to face it, as your spirit strengthens us and supplies us to see our way through it, for you to preserve us through it, endure us through it. And we thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this book. It's been a tremendous blessing to consider um, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ through the words of Paul written in these chapters. Pray, Lord, that you would commit them to our heart and mind, uh, that we might embrace them through faith, that you might illumine our understanding of these things for your own glory, for our everlasting good, for your everlasting praise. We pray these things in Christ's name. Hello, and thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. 
It would be a joy to have you worship with us.